The FDA just approved Lukembi for treatment of early-stage Alzheimer's disease, and today I'm going to share five ideas about what it all means. Hi, everyone. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group and host of the Health Biz Podcast. It's a weekly show where I usually interview healthcare leaders about their lives and careers, but it's mid-July and a lot of those healthcare leaders are on vacation. So today, it's just me. If you like what you hear, please like this episode and subscribe. Idea number one, Lukembi is just different enough from Aduhelm to survive scrutiny. As you may remember, Aduhelm was approved by the FDA in 2021. It's a pretty similar drug uh, for Alzheimer's disease, and it caused a real uproar. Medicare refused to cover it, and it was a career ender for acting FDA Commissioner Janet Woodcock. So what's different about Lukembi? Well, first of all, this drug actually does show an effect on cognition. Aduhelm just showed that it reduced plaques. So even though it's a fairly minor uh, improvement in cognition and really just uh, delaying decline somewhat or slowing it, it's enough that a family might not even notice it. There is at least some claim that it's doing something uh, to help the brain. It also seems to be a little bit safer. About half the number of people have a brain bleed uh, or swelling. It's still about 20% of those that are in tightly controlled clinical trials and probably more in the real world but that's about half of what Aduhelm had. With Aduhelm, the big issue also had to do with the pricing. Originally, they priced it at $56,000 a year and multiplied by millions of people who might take it. It looked like it could really bankrupt uh, Medicare. They cut the price to $28,000. Still, Lukembi's coming in cheaper, a little bit, $26,000 a year versus the current twenty-eight. So those are a few reasons why Lukembi is different enough from Aduhelm that it's going to make it. Number two, the requirement for patients to be in a registry when they take Lukembi is a good idea. Everybody who's taking Lukembi needs to be in a clinical registry, and that will track the outcomes over time and the experience uh, with the drug. Now, some people are complaining that this requirement to be in a registry is just an added burden. I suspect that their true motivation is twofold. First of all, of course, it may depress the sales a little bit because there's an extra hurdle, something extra you need to do in order to be on the drug. But another reason is that it might show that Lukembi doesn't work as well in the real world as it does in the clinical trial. For example, it may be harder to show safety and it may be less safe in a less tightly controlled environment. It's really important, I think, also to see if we're getting our money's worth from this drug and it should help guide future drug development and treatment decisions. We also want to know that if the effect wears off after a year, as it seems may be the case, that would be good to know, and it will make sense for patients to discontinue it for their own health reasons, convenience reasons, and, of course, for cost. Idea number three, the healthcare delivery system isn't ready to make the best use of Lukembi. Look at it from a few perspectives. From a primary care standpoint, it's hard to get a primary care doctor in the first place, and there's a real question about whether physicians are going to feel confident enough to diagnose and to refer and to prescribe. On the specialist side, it's hard to get an appointment, especially in rural areas and especially at the centers that can actually do the diagnostic work that's needed before someone can be on the drug. That includes imaging using a PET scan to see if, in fact, the patient has amyloid plaques to begin with, because that's what the drug addresses, and then genetic testing to check if there's a mutation that would cause a safety concern. In other words, more likelihood of brain swelling or bleeding. There's 
the challenge of having an infusion every couple of weeks, and it needs to be fairly tightly controlled from a scheduling standpoint. And then the ability to enroll patients in a registry, which isn't always done at this scale. Number four, Lukembi will not be very good for health equity. Minorities and lower income people are less likely to get the drug. That's for a few reasons. First of all, they tend to be diagnosed later on, and that means that they won't be eligible for this drug because it's only indicated for those at an early level of, uh, of the disease. So if they don't get early care, they're not going to get referred for treatment. And they have a harder time navigating the system. I already described how challenging it will be to go from primary care to specific specialists and then to maintain the regimen that's needed to have the infusions. It's also the case that black patients appear to be about twice as likely to have the genetic mutation that disqualifies them from taking the drug. It's a reason why black patients were underrepresented in the clinical trial that was done in the first place. So overall, I don't think that this drug is going to help health equity and it will probably exacerbate the current problems. Number five, I believe we'd be better off spending our money on public health and prevention. If we could reduce diabetes and hypertension, that would reduce dementia and improve quality of life fairly directly. And you also wouldn't have the challenge of side effects like brain bleeds and swelling. It could also make a big difference in improving health equity. But this is a real conundrum for health equity advocates because in practice, we now have a drug that's covered. Medicare will pay for it, notwithstanding the fact that there may be a substantial copay. And we don't really have the choice to say, hey, if I had $26,000, would I spend it on prevention and public health lifestyle improvement versus the drug? We don't have that choice for an at-risk person. So even though we'd be better off spending our money on public health and prevention, we don't realistically have that choice. You've been listening to the Health Biz Podcast with me, David Williams, president of Health Business Group. I conduct in-depth interviews with leaders in healthcare business and policy. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite service. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe on your second and third favorite services as well. There's more good stuff to come, and you won't want to miss an episode. If your organization is seeking strategy consulting services in healthcare, check out our website, healthbusinessgroup.com.